Hello, hello, hello. Just checking the systems over here. Everything seems to be doing what it's supposed to be doing. Welcome, welcome. It is Wednesday evening, March 1st. It's uh, the late, the late great Pam's birthday. The Pam we just lost over here back in, uh, in November. March 1st. And uh, it, oh, it feels like a March 1st. You can either get a winter day or a, a quasi-spring day. So, uh, whatever you wake up with on a March, a March morning is uh, exactly the way it's supposed to be. And there's nothing wrong with it. So it was a cold day with a little bit of leftover snow from yesterday. I didn't mention that. We got, we got, uh, when all was said and done, maybe about three to four inches. It all happened overnight, so we woke up and it was already starting to drizzle a little bit. Not, not that much, or else we, we wouldn't have been able to go outside. But the baby did get to do her uh, snow angel, and uh, we made a, a snowman for her too. So at least we can check that off for winter 2022. As uh, as mild as it was for us, I know that there was deadly blizzards in other parts of the state of New York and all around the country. But for us, it was um, it was really a a joke. So today we're kicking off a new month. Uh, we made a little bit of a change to the guest schedule. Jeffrey Peterson is going to be coming on next Wednesday, March eighth. And I'll tell you why. Because this latest Arizona, Katie Hobbs, um, Sinaloa cart Mexican Mexican cartel thing, uh, it's so much more uh, convoluted and confusing, and it's starting to get a little bit weird. And, uh, and and Jeffrey feels the same way. So does a couple other people down there who have been tracking cartel involvement with uh, border state governments for many years. And uh, we did a lot of that this morning. I just sat back and listened to a lot of what uh, Tracy had uh, pulled up on the entire thing. You can listen to that on the morning show. That is um, on the Uncovered DC Rumble account, or you can go to RadioInfluence.com and listen to the, the audio podcast. I, I basically just sat back and listened and tried to make sense of the whole thing because we're very you're, you're very seldom actually talking about cartels and you're talking about a very weird family dispute so we're just giving it a couple more days I didn't want Jeffrey to come on in the middle of a shitstorm. we wanted to let it to kind of settle a little bit more and see where all the chips fall give it another week but there's other people who got in touch with me out there especially Corey Daniel who's uh who was Arizona based and and uh and knows about all this stuff and even his uh, his red flags are going up. So I'm just waiting back, and I I'm, I want to have a little bit more of a complete conversation with people, with a uh, with a little bit more time for it all to develop. So there's not as much confusion and things left off the table. So that's what we're doing. So tonight we are going to take a little bit of a different route, as you will see. I have a I have a little something here I want to do in the grab bag about why young liberals are so depressed. And then I just want to apply that to the kind of social pressures and, and the, the happiness index that is not reflecting very good things uh, for people across the board. But we know that on the left end of things, it is far more of a catastrophic existence, far more glum, 
the the sex is 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 worse. We know that too. There's a lot less good-looking people over there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just pulling out all the science that I know. There's just a lot of science on this. Uh, but I, I, I just wanted to talk about this because there is a place that I want to go to with you in conversation tonight that I think is going to, I'm, I'm hoping, is going to uh, dig up and encourage a lot of great conversation. And that is I want to go into the area of community, of good neighborly interaction, ask you how 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 you are with your neighbors and how you've seen interactions with your neighbors and however many neighborhoods you've lived in over the years, how that may have changed uh, over the last couple of decades. Then I also want to bring up the the other another uh, very important piece of life as a human being. Obviously, community uh, community life is very important as a human being. Whether you are it doesn't matter what your outlook on government is. We are social creatures. Strong uh, community ties is always a great way of ensuring good mental health, good everything. It, it, it just is, a, is a, a good boost for well-being. And other than that, there is a whole idea of storytelling, the oral tradition, and how that has been circumvented, that has been usurped by corporate entertainment. So I want to take two things that are very important to combating things like depression, because of course we've been driven away, we've been pulled away from these very, uh, these ba very basic tenets of, of uh, human civilizational stability in this digital political war zone where everybody's being recruited as, as young as preschoolers are being recruited into this, this fucking culture war. So I wanted to talk about just two out of, I'm sure, many of the things that you guys and gals can come up with that are very important for happiness and sustainability in a, uh, a, a civilization. And that is your relationship with your neighbors and the tradition of storytelling. I, I'm going to ask you, chief among everything, because I have a, a great thread on that. I'm going to introduce you to the, the OP of the thread as well. But um, I, I, I want to ask you guys, chief among all other thoughts that may come up along the way, who was the best storyteller in your life? And if you don't have a personal, a, per, a person in your life personally that was always just a really great storyteller and someone you always loved hanging out with because you knew that they were going to take you on a, on a, a ride through the, uh, the theater of the mind, I, I, uh, I would like to know who you read a lot of. Who out there have you have you just gravitated toward as a really amazing storyteller? Whenever whenever I think about stories and storytelling, I I often think about that movie Big Fish, which is that's one of those movies I watch maybe once every five years because it is it's heavy but it's amazing. It's amazing. If you haven't seen Big Fish in a while or at all, watch Big Fish. That's another one that we should put on the uh, on the network one of these nights. But uh, let's get started, shall we? I want to thank my sponsors tonight. That is BlueMonsterPrep.com. They are a wonderful group of people that are there for everybody in this audience in a time of great need. And it's always a great a time of great need because uh, we're dealing with insurance. These are tangible insurance policies. Food, water filtration, gas masks. We're going to talk about through this month 
Um, anybody who's who has been considering going and looking up, at, you know, what what power generators would be like for your house, whether whether you're in suburban areas or urban, whatever it is, they have great power generators that are all solar powered. So the battery cells are, are, are charged up by solar power. They, they give you some really good strategic uses of, of stored energy. And not only that, if you are in a suburban area, they're not loud. So, you know, in a, in a crisis situation, people are, they hear, they hear gas generators going on everywhere. They start thinking, oh, if they've got a gas generator, I wonder what else they have. So uh, I, I'm going to, obviously, these things are a little bit more on the, the, the pricier end. But those of you who are wondering about even that, you should get in touch with Pat and Gina. And I think that this, this month they're trying to figure out ways of working out, not necessarily layaway or anything like that, but payment plans for these bigger items that you may have always wanted to have around especially if you need to power refrigerators for medicines or anything else like that. So bluemonsterprep.com, go and check them out. Use promo code FRANKLY. All right. Steve and Jonathan is still on tomorrow. Dr. Peter McCullough is back on with us on Friday with Jay Gulinello and Matt, I think, in studio. It's going to be a nice, cozy evening. But now let's get... Uh, oh, and uh, I want to announce this month's monthly uh, sponsor giveaway. So monthly sponsors, as you all know, they're automatically entered into this giveaway. And Lynn Winters, Lynn, Lynn Winters, she is a winner of an ounce of silver from Wise Wolf Gold and Silver. They're going to be sending you out that, that round of silver. And the UFO drone, that was paid forward from last month and uh, the last month winner. So there you go. I just want to congratulate Lynn Winters. We'll be in touch with you. And for those of you who are interested, last night I put the Quite Frankly Book Club sessions for our reading of The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. That is now available for all people. It is, it is right now live on the YouTube under the playlists uh, section on the front page of the channel. And I am soon to be uh, uploading it into a playlist on the SoundCloud and distributed through the... Through the uh, uh, the podcast as well, the audio podcast. So just a reminder, become a monthly sponsor at quitefrankly.tv so you don't miss the live sessions of the next book club, which is Brave New World with special co-host Jay Dyer. That begins in March next Monday, a week from today. So I'll be giving you your chapter assignments probably tomorrow because my new copy of Brave New World came in because eventually I'll be marking that up and I'll be raffling that off afterwards too. So... um there you have it. There you go. All right. First one up in the grab bag is Lori Lightfoot. I'm sure you all heard it. We all want to give Lori a very big round of applause. She was completely destroyed in the Chicago city election for mayor. Lightfoot is out. Vallis Johnson are in the April runoff. Mayor Lori Lightfoot finished third in Tuesday's election with 16.89% of the vote behind former Chicago Public School CEO Paul Vallis at 33.95 and Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson with 20.32. I, I, I wonder why. I wonder why that happened. This is how it's going to be. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail, period. 
There should be nothing unambiguous about that. Don't make us. Nothing unambiguous? Unambiguous. Treat you like a criminal. But if you act like a criminal and you violate the law and you refuse to do what is necessary to save lives in the city in the middle of a pandemic, we will take you to jail, period. There you this go. That's how it's going to be. I wonder. I wonder why she lost. Among other things, of course. Among other things, that trollish character. Strange, strange creature. So I'm sure she'll be burrowing somewhere with the rest of the cicadas. We're waiting for August around now. Just go back, go back with the bug people. Okay, so here we go. I wanted to say for congratulations to Chicago. Who knows what that brings you? Uh, maybe it won't be that big of a change, but at least at least you gave yourself a shot. I have no clue who the who the winners, the potential winners are. But this is where I want to get to right now, and this will open up some other things for us. In this, in after we get on the other side of the of the intro. Here is from slowboring.com by Matthew Iglesias. Why are young liberals so depressed? I'm going to read you just the first section of this. Because it, it, it reflects greater societal issues. Of course, young liberals are, are being, I mean, young people in general are being dictated to, they're being raised, taught, they're, they're being pressured by the same people that are pressuring all of us. But, you know, growing up, growing up, it, it, it's hard enough to be growing up, you know, going through puberty, going through all these really formative years in school, getting your social bearings, all of that. Uh, it's another thing to then suddenly be, be um, assigned to carry the weight of society, the cross of society. As I said before, they recruited people as young as preschoolers. You have preschoolers and kindergartners who are essentially there to validate all of the issues that their teachers have because their teachers are just pretty much five-year-olds in 37-year-old bodies. So it's a, it's, it's a weird situation, and it's being internalized at every level, but especially here. Fresh episode of Bad Takes is out today. That's what they're talking about. Earlier this month, the CDC re released the results of its Youth Risk Behavior Survey of American Teenagers. The findings have been much discussed, with the focus largely and understandably on the fact that teenage girls are suffering from extraordinarily high levels of sadness and depression. I think the conversation has overlooked a few things. One possible culprit for this widespread sadness is that social media apps are especially damaging to girls' psychological health, a thesis long championed by Jonathan Haid. And even though on its face, Haid's point seems, le uh, seems left-wing, new technology has downside risks and big companies need to be regulated more, seems left-wing, the idea has taken on a mostly right-wing inflection with Josh Hawley as its most vocal champion in the Senate. Social media is good at generating polarization, and some of the left-inflected pushback has essentially argued that maybe teens aren't depressed because of phones, but because, in Taylor Lorenz's words, we are living in a late-stage capitalist hellscape during an ongoing deadly pandemic with record wealth inequality, zero social safety net, job security, as climate change cooks the world. Now, I mean, 
the, I think the problem is that we have people like Taylor Lorenz all over the place, especially in the, in the schools, that are drilling this into the heads of children who shouldn't have to worry about all this crap and are, are, are being made to carry water for people who have had their minds scrambled like eggs. I mean, um, I, there's so many other things that are going on here. Yeah, there's a lot of social pressures. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, dopamine addictions that you can that you can form based on any number of things that you're going to and interacting with on the internet uh, more than other things, but geez, Taylor Lorenz, late stage capitalist hellscape. Oh God, the problem is with that and with that end, they're getting stressed out by people like Taylor Lorenz. When you hear about third graders that are having anxiety attacks. That people are, are, this was a couple of years ago we were talking about this. Third graders that were showing up to Diane Feinstein's office in California to, uh, to pressure her, to scream at her about climate change because they were all having nightmares. About why aren't you doing something? We know that the world is going to end. We're going, we're going to have you know, ca- ca- catastrophes in about 10 years or so. You know, if you're eight years old, and you're listening to all of these completely out of their minds uh, adults around you. These are the people that you really think have it together. There's a lot of stress going on out there. And the internet is the best way where it proliferates. Not only that, we know who the internet is largely controlled by. We know what kind of, of uh, information standards a lot of these apps are, uh, are, are, are uh, operating under. So that's just it. But to say late, late stage, uh, this this is such a ridiculous term, late stage capitalist. So she thinks free markets lead us to where we are right now. Late stage freedom. That's why we're here right now. We were way too free. The individual was way too free. Yeah, that's it. You, you, know, you don't know this. Don't you know? Does anybody out there know this is what this is the freest we've ever been, ladies and gentlemen? This is the freest we've ever been. We're at the precipice of death by freedom. That's what this is. So they're just so stupid. And of course this is going to trickle down to teens. Especially when much of their uh, their schooling and their grades in school is going to be dependent on what they put down on paper. Uh, social pressures for dating. Uh, the, so many other things. Let me read this a little bit more. Noah Smith and Eric Levitz. Both wrote good articles questioning the veracity of the Doomer narrative, and Michelle Goldberg did an excellent piece trying to reframe the issue, arguing correctly that, quote, The idea that unaccountable corporate behemoths are harming kids with their products shouldn't be a hard one for liberals to accept, even if figures like Hawley believe it as well. I don't know that it is that, though. I mean, um, having a means to communicate on the Internet and socializing and being able to read things from people on the other side of the world and have things that you have written, read by people on the other side of the world, having platforms and, and, and applications and, and internet connectivity is not the issue, okay? Because some of us out here are discuss, discussing really great things and we're having a good time and, 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 and you know, we're, we're, we're exploring interesting things, inspiring things, learning stuff we never knew before. So um, things that really throw new light on stale problems, 
problems that we know are kept around artificially because they're wedge issues that allow central planners to keep planning until we have no more consent left. It's things like that. So I, I don't I don't see technology and internet and, and, and apps as something that is just I'm not gonna I'm never gonna be the old man, you know, uh, yelling at the cloud. But he says, I want to talk about something Goldberg mentions but doesn't focus on. A 2021 paper by Catherine Grimbrone, Lisa Bates, Seth Prinz, and Catherine Keyes titled The Politics of Depression, Diverging Trends in Internalizing Symptoms Among U.S. Adolescents by Political Beliefs. The CDC survey doesn't ask teens about their political beliefs, but Grimbrone et al. find not only divergence by gender, but divergence by political ideology. Breaking things down by gender and ideology, they have found that liberal girls have the highest increase in depressive effect and conservative boys have the least. But liberal boys are more depressed than conservative girls, suggesting an important independent role for political ideology. Because at this point, liberal boys are still being tasked with being really strong allies, even though they are really worth dick to the liberal type women, all right? They are, they're, they're valued member to, members of the community if they remain allies that stay in their lane and cast their votes accordingly to empower them. It, it's, it is really a loveless situation. That's why when Marianne Williamson has those little moments of clarity on television, you would hope that that would, that would jog something loose, but she's been in the sauce for so long. People like her have been in the sauce for so long, what the hell do you expect? But of course, conservative guys are going to be the less affected by this. Um, and then, and then, and then, liberal girls. I mean, what are you going to? I mean, you're, you're being told that every natural instinct you have is a is residue from some kind of a retrograde, backward society in which you were a handmaiden's tale slave. Of course, of course, I can. Of course, I can see them being the most oppressed out of all of them. They're being told they have to fight every innate urge to be a woman, and uh, it must be shitty. I think the discussion around gender and the and the role of social media is an important one. But I also don't believe that liberal boys are experiencing more depression than conservative girls because they are disproportionately hung up on Instagram-induced body image. Well, there's just as many body image problems for boys than there are for girls. All right, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And when it comes to depression, nobody's killing themselves more than boys are. I think there's also some t- something uh, specific to politics going on here. This is the last, last po- uh, paragraph of this section. Some of it might be selection effect, with progressive politics becoming more congenial for people who are miserable. But I think some of it is poor behavior by adult progressives, many of whom now valorize depressive effect as a sign of political commitment. Yes. Like I said, not only is not only is the ideology, the leftist ideology, completely at odds with human nature, completely at odds with human nature and human liberty. But the people who are proselytizing, the people are who are or putting it out there. And are, are, are pushing this, the teachers, the administrators, the union bosses, the people on, on, uh, in Hollywood and on television, those people have created a certain amount of value 
to to show and and show themselves as being in a constant fight or flight warlike mentality everything is seen through this terrible lens of oppression and 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 being at war with everything including nature itself it's very depressive it's very hopeless that is how it's sold that's how it's internalized and that's actually the crux of the ideology itself so it is a whole it's a it's a rich ball of shit a very rich ball of shit nihilist through and through uh the thing about depression though is that it's bad they conclude Separate from the Smith-Levitt's project of arguing about recent political trends, I think we need some kind of a society-level cognitive behavioral therapy to convince people that whatever it is they are worried about, depression is not the answer, because it never is. I'll also throw on out there that uh, at this point we're saying 42% of Gen Z has been diagnosed with a mental health condition 20 percent are currently seeing a therapist a staggering percentage of these young uh, adults were diagnosed with anxiety depression attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or uh, traumatic stress disorder during the pandemic especially that's what they say during the pandemic a lot of this it, it like just shot up 57 percent of gen z takes regular medication 57%. These are people who were born between 1997 and 2004, roughly. And surprise, now 7.2% of adults in the United States say that they are LGBT, which in any place where this is not becoming a systemic thing, maybe 2%. And inside that 7.2 as a whole, in the demographic of Gen Z, 97 to 2004, 20%. 20%. One-fifth of that generation says that they're not heterosexual. <laughs> what? What? Do you know what happens if one-fifth or more of a species were actually naturally gay? I mean, it would be, that would be a, a species that was designed for swift extinction. Swift extinction. 20%? We would have been extinct centuries ago if this was natural. I, I, and, and let's not to mention, ladies and gentlemen, 75, 75% of Americans, about 17 to 25, Gen Z are unfit for military service. Obesity rates through the roof, pre-diabetic. My oh my. So yeah, there's a lot going on. And I want to talk a little bit about, well, I want to talk a, a, a little bit about a couple of things that we are, are, are a little bit more separate from these days. A little bit more decoupled from these days now that, uh, that we're living in mainly digital illusion land. I want to talk about community. I want to ask you about your neighbors. I want to talk about storytelling and how important that was, who the best storytellers in your life were. Um, so we'll get into that. Yes, we will. And I only ran a little bit over the 715 mark. So let's get this one started. Share the show far and wide. I've got all of the live links across the quite frankly socials. And if you are on YouTube, please like and keep in, uh, keep uh, encouraging each other to like the show. Let's get it past 1100 likes. And on Rumble, 
Ladies and gentlemen, let's go one for one. For every person watching, let's get a like in there because uh, for the last two weeks, there's only been a couple of days we were not in the top 50 and most of that is driven by likes. The top 50 across the entire platform, every episode has been in the top 50 almost every day for the last couple of weeks, as long as I've known that that, that uh, leaderboard was there. So um, let's do it, because we're a small channel compared to the, the mainstays on that list, and I love to continue to compete. I love competing. Let's do it. So thank you guys so much. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's nine, it's nine. It is 7.20 p.m. Welcome to the show. And uh, the pre-show is over. Now welcome aboard for the, the real cruise. The real cruise. And um, I want to remind you that, quite frankly, superchat.com Quite frankly, superchat.com. I should also go and buy up the URL, quite frankly, stupidchat.com, and have it all forward to the same place. So that whether or not you go to quite frankly, superchat.com or quite frankly, stupidchat.com, you will still be able to contribute to the show uh, your thoughts and your support. So we'll get around to those, your rumble rants and everything else. Send them on in, ladies and gents. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And let's get started. All right, here's something I wanted to do with you. First thing, it's a strange, a strange uh, statement made by Peter Thiel. And I know that Jason Burmis said he was going to do a big breakdown on this, these comments that Thiel made. What is he? Where is he over there in Oxford? Where is he right now? I don't know. But here's a clip. Teal echoing Elon Musk about preventing the one world government, suggesting it would be added to the list of existential risks uh, next to nukes, AI, and climate. He then brings up how the motto for the Antichrist is peace and safety as he stumbles through the analogy of Armageddon. He was quoting 1 Thessalonians 5.3 where the day of the Lord brings sudden destruction and perceived safety, peace and safety of the Antichrist. 
He was trying to praise classical liberalism and Western values, but it didn't quite land. No, it's very awkward. It's very awkward. He's, it's only about a, a minute long, minute 17 long, and he's stumbling a lot. And again, going back to our whole talk about the about uh, controlled opposition. We were doing that last week. Controlled opposition. That whole thing comes up again here. Because from an objective standpoint, you hear this and it's said if it's said by anybody else, you really say, all right, well, they're on to something there. They're on to something. I get where they're coming from. But the fact that you have this, because as we all know, Teal's, uh, one of his many projects was Palantir, is a massive data collection company. And I think he was, in, I don't know if he, I think he was de- denying it or whatever, but uh, there was a lot of people that were linking him to the start of that Ambrosia blood transfusion company. Then there's PayPal, there's other things. Who knows? Who knows? He just has a very, a lot of, a lot of luck in, in business and he has very powerful friends, including Elon Musk. And this is what he said, listen. Do not hide under the rock and pretend these things are not real but we have to make the list complete. And I would, I would include as a very, very serious existential risk, um, you know, the risk if, if you end up with a one world totalitarian state, that also counts as an existential risk. And it seems to me that we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't, uh, get, uh, we shouldn't uh, short, be too short-sighted about that one. We, uh, we, should, we should always fight that. That's very shiny face. Very, very shiny face. Needs to go to a powder room. It always needs to be stopped. You know, um, you know I, I, I should, I should uh, not need to remind you that in the, uh, you know, in the sort of quasi-mythological New Testament account, the, the slogan of the Antichrist is peace and safety. And, um, and, uh, and that there is, there is you know, we're, we're told that um, there's nothing worse than Armageddon. But perhaps there is. Perhaps we should fear the Antichrist. Perhaps we should fear the one world totalitarian state uh, more than Armageddon. And uh, perhaps we should, uh, we should stick with uh, some of the tried and true um, ideas of classical liberalism this, this organization and this institution has been supporting for 200 years and keep going for another, another 200. Thank you very much. So that's got a lot of people wondering. Again, uh, there is the message, and then there is the messenger. And I don't know how uh, speaking that into into the public isn't necessarily a bad thing, but again, there's going to be a lot of people debating w- w- what the point of this is. And we'll see. I'm pretty interested in seeing what, what Jason Burma says about that, because I know that he's pretty... He's pretty sharp on, on, on things like that. I'm pretty interested in what, what Jay Dyer would do, too. So um, we'll get to that in due time. Now, here's another thing I want I wanted to show you before we get into our community talk. Because I think this, this really in- captures the mindset that is trickling down to children the, uh, the, the way that people put their, their mental issues out into the public as political performance art and what they see as noble behavior and everything else, but it's really just weird and isolating and morbid. Here, I don't know where this even is. Cringy leftist anti-Russia performance art somewhere. Here you go. Now, I don't know where this is happening, but they look like the mutants from Table 9 
in The Wedding Singer, you got to look at this. You have these crusty, stoic witches that are gathering around the... Now, this this gold thing that you're going to see right there is, well, as we get closer, is a Russian... The Russian coat of arms. It's the double-headed eagle, all right? And they're putting the Russian coat of arms down on a chopping block. They, they've created their own little execution ceremony. It's it's incredible. Some of these women are, are tied up in... are wrapped up in... Uh, there's Ukraine flags, then you have the you have the EU flags wrapped around people. I think someone over there has a Russian flag for some reason. Maybe? I don't know. And then there's a one man that's holding down the Russian the Russian double-headed eagle, this one over here. He has the NATO flag on, I think. It's the blue flag. I can I can see it. Now next to him, I'm just describing this for everybody that is in podcast land. Next to him on the other side of the eagle that is now waiting for its executioner to arrive, you have someone, an old crusty woman, who is dressed up like Lady Justice. Her her eyes are blindfolded, and in her left hand, she has the scales of justice there. She's Lady Liberty. Scales of justice in her left hand, and they've got their entire... And then, and then, and then literally in the back over there, you have a Karl Marx lookalike which I'm sure he smells just as bad as Karl Marx did. So he's back, you, you see him with the beard? He hasn't, he hasn't cut his hair since 1973? Well, there you go. Uh, this is what we have, the mutants from Table 9. And they have laid the double-headed eagle, the Russian coat of arms, on this chopping block. And, um, and here you go. There's a bell being rung. Everybody draped in, in EU flags. Okay, maybe that wasn't the Russian flag. But she come, somebody comes over, one of the crusty women come over and hand off to the man in the NATO in the NATO cape that is holding down the eagle on the chopping block, hands to him an axe. An axe that is blue at the blade and yellow at the shaft. All right, so it's got the the colors of Ukraine, the axe now, and he holds it up over his head, and now he's going to pass it off to who? You guessed it, Lady Liberty. So now she has. So with with the blindfold on, obviously she's now she now thinks that she, she's wrapped herself up so that she can maintain the symbolism of, of of justice being blind right she has to be able to cut the head off of these of this this double-headed eagle the heads off of this double-headed eagle with the blindfold on so she can stay in character and costume and all that stuff and uh and this is where it gets gets really interesting she starts hacking at the the eagle's necks now Now remember, she's only doing this with her right hand because her left hand has the, 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 the scales. The scales of justice are still in her left hand. But she's not a very powerful woman. She's a crusty old witch. So, uh, you know, wielding an axe with one hand is not very good. Even though that they made this out of tinfoil, she's, she's just barely, barely making damage to the eagle's neck.
But it, it's apparent here that when they constructed this eagle, they wanted it to be maximum gore because as she punctures the outer layer of whatever they, they made this with, you can see red artificial blood starting to ooze from the severed neck of the Russian eagle. There you go, there's the blood. <laughs> she can't do it. She's having a little hard, hard time. So now she has to... <laughs> She's out of breath. She's out of breath. Okay, and now consider this symbolism. Now consider the symbolism here. Incredible how art truly imitates life. You have this woman who needs to put down the scales of justice. She actually had to place the scales of justice down in order for her to better grip the ax because she wasn't able to cut off the heads of the eagle. How's that for an image? This weak, out of breath, old crone. She had to abandon justice, in a sense, to go and play executioner because she's a fucking witch. There you go. There you go. Finally, both heads are off. And she's completely out of breath. And Karl Marx is taking pictures. And now... And now the warlock, who's got the NATO flag wrapped around his neck like a cape, the warlock ho holds up the dead eagle with the blood dripping down, the two severed necks. And, and uh, this is... That's it. And then, and then they paraded it down the street. The severed head. <laughs> you want to know why our children are depressed? Again and again, thespians. Again, I grew up around theater people. I love the theater. But it is very weird, very weird to see the drama club nerds develop this, this taste for blood. It's very weird to see thespians become bloodthirsty. All right? Very odd. Especially if you grew up uh, around that and you spent a lot of time in the theater. It's just it's just weird. Uh, I guess the clearest point I can say is that if we were casting a movie, the good guys don't look like this. The good guys don't look like this. These are the people that you find doing weird things in the woods. And, um, and you have to go, you know, alert the sheriff. And then you realize that the sheriff is under their spell too. And then you're, you're up against the entire town. And it's just, it becomes a weird cult thriller like that that's that's what these people are so all right i wanted to talk about something a little bit different now because there's plenty of crazy to go around and i'm sure that we'll keep tapping into that as the year goes on i want to talk about a couple of naturally gratifying things that are essential pieces of humanity that our modern society does not really place nearly as high on the priorities list as you know uh as they should as cutting off the, the heads of, of eagles. Community life and storytelling. Now, here's a thread about community and neighbors, and it was in response... It was in response to an unfortunate creature who created, an, uh, who created a post to explain why, get this, 
Here's a thread about why making your neighbor's food without their prior consent is ableist. Now, we're not going to go into that. Not going to happen because we're going to try to keep this nice and, uh, and positive from here on in. So here is what professional hog groomer on Twitter responded to with this. I think it was great. The response to this depressing trash was a great reminder of where a lot of our social issues really come from and how authentic social bonds are being replaced by virtual addictions and these unhealthy political trends that demonize what is normal, natural instincts. Here's what they say. I live with my partner next to an older Persian couple. They speak about a dozen words of English, and I can't find Farsi on Duolingo. But one day, they showed up unannounced at our door with a pair of desserts. Since then, we've gotten to know each other to the point where they are comfortable asking for help when their pilot light goes out or need furniture moved, and we sometimes bring them pistachios. They transform into more treats for us. Part of taking the act of building community out of the abstract and into the world is partially overlapping the circle of what you consider personal with someone else's personal circle and space. When you start, you're not knowing, you're not going to know exactly where the other person's boundaries lie. And the only way to find out where those boundaries are is to put yourself a little bit out there and then gauge the response. Hell, even your own boundaries aren't constant. You're going to find that they shift over time, sometimes by choice, sometimes out of necessity. And to be frank, The necessity to be a lot more neighborly is bearing down like a freight train. When shit gets bad, and it will, how are you or your neighbors going to know who you can turn to for help, for information, or for support if none of your circles already overlap? It's not likely an accident that our Persian neighbors were the ones that made the first move. North American cultural norms have so skewed in the direction of toxic individualism that even leftists internalize it, exhaustingly rebranding it with concepts of consent. Now, I, yeah, I, I have gone through a lot of those ridiculous concepts of consent and where we are right now. And whenever somebody uses the word toxic these days, I, I, I'm, bec- I'm starting to become allergic to that word just because of how it's been destroyed, like problematic. Problematic was buried. That was buried. Dead and gone years ago. Can't stand that word anymore. For example, toxic masculinity. We've all heard that one. Um, I think that the, uh, the American Psychiatric Association has said toxic masculinity or traditional masculinity is considered a, a public health issue or something. When, um, but using the term toxic masculinity is a, greater, a way to create some kind of imaginary political binary nature of man to dissuade them from being chivalrous, from being protective, and especially from, um, from trying to deter men from taking leadership roles they want that less and less so um that's it that's that's why toxic but i understand what they're getting to here all right in 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 the liberal world toxic masculinity it's weird like a as if an abusive man you know example for example an abusive man is not abusive because his masculinity is out of control that's not what's going on there all right and if that's the case then what explains Uh, how violent and irrational women are. Are they toxically masculine? What is it? 
But I know in this case what OP, the OP is, is, is talking about. I, I just wouldn't call it individualism is the problem. It's far more like if I were to just put my opinion out there, I think it's far more appropriate to describe what's happening right now as people are becoming more withdrawn. They're becoming a little bit more hesitant, a little bit more weary, a little bit more guarded. I don't know if if I would use the word individualism because it's not really like, uh, it's not a good place to be in. It's not. Uh, so how important are the relationships that you have with your neighbors? That's what I wanna know. How important are the relationships you have with your neighbors right now? And over the years, how have those relationships changed? So um, I would like to hear from you on that. How have they changed? My grandparents, they, I, I mean, they used to go on vacation with neighbors. Maybe some of you still do. They used to go on vacations with neighbors. I remember, especially one family, the Camaradas, they, um, my, my mother's father and mother, they would have like Friday night gin rummy nights. They would either go to the Camaradas, the Camaradas would come over to my grandparents' place and they'd play gin, gin rummy with quarters and over the course of many weeks or so, everybody, you know, the, the, their change piles would build up and all that stuff. And, and eventually they would just say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to leave all this in quarter form. And then we're going to go down to Atlantic City. And they take a weekend in Atlantic City, play some slots. And, and that was it. And I, I remember that. I remember that. I remember thinking that was, that was so cool. And, and I couldn't wait until that was my turn to do that. Things have changed a little bit more. Uh, hopefully those days are still ahead of me. But um, it's harder. It's harder. It's a lot harder now, and people are a lot more wary. So I, that's the big question I want you to, to answer me when you call in. And 914-595-6953. We're going to be taking these calls in the second half because I have one more thread that I want to do right now to close out the first hour. Big question is how important are the relationships that you have had, you have with your neighbors, and how have relationships with neighbors changed over the years, especially if you have moved you have met, you've been around different uh, uh, kinds of people or whatever. Um, the other thing there too is little sub-questions, sub-topics there. Is it harder to get to know people, to get to know your neighbors in rural areas, areas when you are separated by sometimes miles? Is it easier to get to know your neighbors in urban areas because of how close you are to them? Or is it one of those things where you just need a happy medium? Is it harder to tolerate your neighbors in an urban area because you're just living right on top of each other in these beehive uh, apartment complexes and all that stuff? But if that's the case, then why was city living? Why did, why did city living seem so much more wholesome back in the days when our friend Tony Black was living in Harlem? How he describes it sounds like tranquil and and just one large, you know, many blocks worth of family and, you know, chosen family. So, again, obviously, there's going to be a lot of themes about how we are changing. We are changing because we know that it was once very possible to have a wholesome uh, feeling of togetherness in even those densely populated urban areas. We know that that was possible one day, at, at one time. Now, of course, everybody's mindset has got to get the hell out of these cities, and I understand why. But are the suburbs the way that they still used to be around you? I'd like to know. 
in rural areas. How's that? How is that? So uh, that's the first thing. Now, that's community ties. Now, what about storytelling? These are just the two things I picked out for tonight. The disastrous result of replacing the oral tradition with something else. I had a thread. I found a thread from an account on Twitter that I really love. It's called Chivalry Guild. All right. At Chivalry Guild. You'll see it on screen right now. And I reached out to them. We've already become friends, and I can't wait to have them on the show at some point. And uh, you know, some of the best accounts on Twitter right now, they really are all of these traditionalist writers. They, they do a lot of social commentary, but they do these wonderful dives into history, these endless threads about the heroes of the past, um, classic architecture, art, philosophy, and other deep dives. And it's really comforting. They're really comforting uh, from the standpoint of how it reaffirms, at least for me, that the past was not an abject nightmare that the left tries to tell everybody, especially the kids, that the past was an abject nightmare, that, it, that it, you know, how it's often characterized as toxic, the past is, because once again, the regulatory power over humanity right now is what is at stake for these crazy special interest groups. The most important roles that men and women naturally play, naturally play, are denounced as retrograde and oppressive. So who does that help ultimately? That's what you really have to question. Why is this being done to young men and women? You know, obviously it doesn't help any of us. As you can see, it's getting harder and harder to look everybody in the eye. Everybody's standing face to back these days. More and more people are becoming depressed, isolated, addicted to one thing or another, Lost sheep, that's what it is. And you know, lost sheep, they need shepherds. They need shepherds, if you know what I mean. But this is what the Chivalry Guild put out. And I would really like to, to end the first hour with this. This was back in August. It was actually, He wrote this in honor of his father on August 19th, 2022, which was only six days before my stepfather Uh, died. He said, my father died six years ago this month. I've been thinking a lot about one of his exceptional gifts. The man could tell stories like no one I've ever met. Indulge me as I honor him. He was especially good at relating the exploits of the colorful characters he had known over the years and become and became something of a bard for the last generation of males who weren't medicated into dullness. One of his favorite subjects was a neighbor of ours, Rob. At a distance, Rob seemed an unexceptional fellow, medium height, medium build, but up close you can see a wild gleam in his eye and a hard chin. Rob's defining feature was his love of fighting. For kicks on a Saturday night, he, w- uh, he drives alone to a bar in the roughest part of town and asks the bartender where he could get some crack, crack, crack cocaine. Uh-oh, the prigs are already on alert. The bartender directs him to the back alley. Rob goes to the back alley, and soon enough, a dubious-looking fellow or two shows up. They discuss price. Then Rob shakes his head and says he's changed his mind. He doesn't want any crack. This is a plan from the start. All he wants to do is to piss the dealer off so that he'll swing on Rob. Rob proceeds to pummel the dealer and his friends, then calls it a night and drives home to his family. The story escalates. Once, when Rob is having a weekend fun... The dealer happens to be an undercover cop. 
Rob bloodies him up, but not before the officer calls in the flying squad, a SWAT team in a helicopter. Rob didn't spend any time in jail, but did visit the hospital. My father wove these and other tales into a wild anthology about Rob, which my, my thread mostly de- uh, most definitely fails to do justice. What made him so good at telling these exploits was his honest love of them and of Rob and the inexplicable wildness that made him do such things. My father's narrative, my, his narrative talents combined the brutal implications with a strange poignancy and appreciation and ancient humor that is all but dead today. It was the kind of humor that veteran types understand better than those who are automatically outraged by violence and feel compelled to call for pharmaceuticals and therapy. Soldiers can laugh better than others. It strikes me, looking back, that there's also a deeper commentary on our times. In the old days, Rob would have been that guy who made himself a local legend by leading his tribe to staggering victories over its enemies and committing notorious shenanigans between battles. Generations would remember his exploits after he was gone, thanks to bards like my father. But modernity didn't have much use for Rob's talents. And my father's talents were replaced by network sitcoms and serial dramas. His stories captured this without speaking it. So in addition to honoring my father, I'm also suggesting something that we need to rediscover. We need the bardic arts again. The practice of regaling ourselves with colorful stories well told, that is civilization. It has been an absolute disaster for the human race that we've replaced the oral tradition with corporate entertainment. I should know, my father was as guilty of this as anybody. He constantly had the television on in our house. The art of storytelling also subtly encourages the art of living bravely. You should want to become the kind of man deserving of a good bard like my father. If you have a moment, say a prayer for the repose of my father's soul, and please consider how you might revive the bardic arts in your own family. It might start with something as simply as reading to your own children and then trying your hand with your own stories. It's a tremendous gift to give. And I, I one, 100%. And it's... It's, if you don't already know, a big uh, cornerstone of what this show is built on. Telling stories, digging into, uh, digging into human beings' lives and relating to them and just, uh, and just being real about stuff. And along the way, we discuss the, the news and how it affects us and how it's dulling us out in ways like this. Skip, speaking of Skip, there was one guy that, you know, if you want to talk about who Skip was a bard for, well, uh, there was one guy he was a bard for, and, and that was a guy named Eddie Murphy. Not the Eddie Murphy, but a Eddie Murphy from somewhere around the Bridgeport, Connecticut, Trumbull area. And uh, Skip back in the day was always, uh, he had a, a group of friends that used to have a lot of fun on their motorcycles. The Rice Rockets, they're, they're all over the place. And Eddie Murphy was... He had a penchant for antagonizing police officers on the highway and then just dusting them, just dusting them, taking suicide turns around uh, around on ramps onto other uh, other highway exits and stuff like that. So we would get all these stories and we would always a- ask Skip, hey, you know, tell us more about Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy. And then every once in a while he'd be like, you know who's in town? Eddie Murphy. So what? We got to meet him. Never met him though. Never met Eddie Murphy. But that's one of those stories, um, and I've got a lot of them. 
I've got a lot of them there too. And and that's why when I read this, I thought of Skip. I thought of Big Fish. And I thought about the show and the people that are in it. Now, what I want to know in the second half of the show is who was the, you, you could just general comments, whatever's coming up for you on these topics tonight. Obviously, I want to hear them. But who was the greatest storyteller in your life? I want to hear that from the audience when I'm back from break. And another thing, another thing, uh, because I don't plug myself often, I will take an, a, a, a chance to do it right now. This is a chief reason why putting your support behind new media ventures like this show um, or independent movie production projects, whatever the hell it is, it is not frivolous. Storytelling, uh, entertainment, broadcast, new media, mass communication, putting your individual attention and support by it behind it as a monthly sponsor, as a super chatter, as just somebody who is out there passing the word, slapping stickers on everything, whatever the hell it is, you are a vital part of of cultural revitalization. I'm I'm not going to minimize it. It's a vital, vital part. It is it's a, a very important thing. So again, as we go into break, thank you for keeping me company every night and for sharing me with your friends and family. And we're only getting started. We're only getting started. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to intermission. We'll be right back. Yeah, intermission. Quite frankly. 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 Quite frank
monitoring what's going on. A good hump day. It is a good hump day. I want to just thank you all for uh, for liking the show, especially if you are on Rumble and on YouTube. Give that like button a hit. It is jet fuel. It is jet fuel. And let's keep pumping it in. Keep pumping it. I got so much positive feedback about last night's short show uh, with Jose Vega as well. Especially when, I mean, obviously his activism is, is brave and on point and it is, uh, it's fine focused on just preserving humanity to, to be allowed to go and have those, uh, those side conversations and debates about what political philosophy is, is most likely better, best for, you know, keeping people happy and free and prosperous. Obviously we would have had a, a little bit of a, we did have a lot of a a lot of things that we disagreed with, but but toward the end, I don't know. Looked like I I made some kind of a point that he respected. Although you know when you say fuck Milton Friedman to start it off, Jose, geez, geez, was he really that that uh, that venomous a man? I think he's I think he's brilliant, but I can't wait to have him back. I can't wait to have him back. And I've been getting a lot of a lot of people wrote in, and uh, they even loved it if they didn't like the whole Larouche thing. And obviously, there are people in the the the, the audience that knew more about it than I did. I looked at it. I looked at the whole Larouche thing, and I said to myself, "Okay, well, uh, Rachel Maddow doesn't like it. She called it a cult, and that's something." Because if it's left-leaning, even if it is a cult or if, if it's a, a radical uh, death squad, uh, a group of of uh, of, of race-baiting arsonists like Antifa, they don't condemn them at all. You know, that's very cultish. They they did everything they could to stay away from condemning all of the the Chaz protesters that declared parts of Seattle an autonomous zone in t- in 2020. I mean, you, you think about so for now. Obviously, I guess you're going to you're going to get the fangs if you show up and you are protesting against the Ukrainian cause right now, which is really the NATO CIA cause, because that's just what the news is being tasked with pushing. But when I read the Wikipedia, I said, no, no, th- there's a lot being lost in the in translation here and I'm going to need to understand it a little bit better in time at least because it goes from him being a socialist and a Marxist to then suddenly becoming right wing I have some super chats over here related to that in another email so we'll get around to that right now Um, the first one about last night's show this was from Father Tom a friend of mine and Father Tom said when I was a kid LaRouche was thought of uh, if at all as a bit of a nut I guess your guest would say that was a part of the campaign to discredit him by the establishment. All I remember is that he wanted to build more nuclear power plants and accused Mondale of being a KGB plant. And he said Maddow would be critical of LaRouche because even though he was anti-interventionist, he did not believe uh, he did not believe in unilateral disarmament. And in 1984, praised Reagan's handling of the USSR. He was critical of the EPA and government regulations that kept new nuclear plants from being built. To say his platform was incoherent might be a bit harsh, but based on his ads, 
I never would have pegged him as a person of the left. And again, not to be harsh on your guest, in 2023, to name Lyndon LaRouche as the true North in your political compass is kind of like someone 40 years from now joining the Marianne Williamson Society. Ah, well, that's a very, that's a very interesting take right there. That's an interesting take. Um... Another person loved it and said that Harley Schlanger is in the LaRouche camp, which I did not know. I know that Schlanger is off and on with with um, with uh, Dave from X-22 and also Sean on SGT Report. Never had him on this show. I was always interested in doing that, though. I loved last night. I can't wait to have Jose back on. I, I want him to have I want to have him in studio because aside from I don't you know getting into debates, obviously as you discuss the world, you're going to be you're going to be um, assessing situations and analyzing them from your standpoint and your philosophical grounding is going to be expressed in whatever position you take. So I'm sure that there would be really interesting back and forth and give and take on that. But otherwise, I, I'm not, well, here's what I'm not surprised about. I'm not surprised that the media and Wikipedia and anything along those lines, once again, misdiagnosed someone who is politically left as a far right, a far right maniac. Because they, they just, there's really just no understanding of the actual c political cardinal directions. It, they keep it very binary and very ridiculous and pre-digested for the lowest common denominator that still watches news on television or any kind of information on television with, uh, with a sense of seriousness. Here's another one. This is from our friend Lindsay. Lindsay said, hi, Frank, much love to you. I just tuned in as I do from time to time and I saw a LaRouche going through his circular logic and saw you trying to hide your disgust. I was not disgusted, Lindsay. I was, in, I was, you, I'll, I'll be honest. I was delighted to see his body of work, uh, uh, Jose's body of work, as far as being out there and being on the side of humanity surviving you know, being against war, because if we are against war and pro-free speech, then we have a chance at talking our way to more level-headed places. And we we actually become a check on all of our worst, all of our worst tendencies and all of our, you know, uh, uh, presuppositions and whatever it is. So I was very happy to see that I finally had a leftist on with me. Someone to the left of, well, someone who is, is happy saying that they're left and that they're not a centrist because everything is left. Republican is, is far left at this point. But uh, it was I was just happy because I can't tell you how many times I have been outright rejected. I have invited everybody on this show, everybody on this show, even people I know that will never respond to me. Um, I tried with Marianne Williamson. We'll see if she ever gets that. I've tried with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez before she even won her first election. You know, there's a lot of things I've tried, but uh, nobody wants to do things like that. Anyway, Lindsay says, 
I feel your pain. I am a recovered communist, and in my years of anti-war and communist protesting, speaking and agitating on the streets of Seattle from 2003 to 2006 or so, the LaRouches were even crazier than our broken asses were. Those people go live in literal compounds together. They study a list of prescribed readings and are sent out to proselytize and get more people on the cult. Wild times. Okay. Well, we'll see. See what happens. Like I said, I a whole new world has been opened up to me at this this respect because I heard I heard it and I thought when I heard uh, Maddow bring up the the LaRouche cult, I thought that it was some kind of an offshoot of the John Birch Society. I was like, okay, this has got to be this has got to be originalist, uh, a Red Scare era constitutionalist stuff it's got to be because why would she be against it aside from the fact that there they are saying something that goes against the grain at what the networks are pushing with the war in ukraine so anyway jose will be back and i'm sure we'll have a great time into the super chats more ken mcneil says god forbid our sheriffs fall under the spell or we're really screwed i'm still laughing as always thank you frank for all that you do thank you ken Stostubes, it's great Wednesday, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, my friends over there. Cody says, gayest timeline. Modern elites can't even decapitate a bird. Adam Weishaupt, Albert Pike, etc. are rolling around in their graves. Maybe there's hope after all. <laughs> yeah, maybe there is. KT Sky D says, Mom, Granny, and Grandpa always had the best stories. Ask your elders everything while you can, folks. Cute story in your email for later. Uh, it's it's true. It's true. I have, uh, hey, why do, you, why do you think I always love when Tony comes on? Tony's 92 years old now. He's been on the show since he's been like 88. I think, I think it's been like 88 years old, and we've just been just, just downloading um, Joseph, uh, Joseph Civitano, my friend, Matt Civitano's grandfather, Joseph Civitano, when he came on this show in 2017 or 18, he was 95 years old at the time. And I begged him, I, I begged, I said, Matt, you think, you think he'll, he'll be able to, he'll want to come on the show and talk about his service. Cause he was part of, uh, he was part of Patton's army, Thunderbolts. And we had this, uh, maybe we'll replay that on Throwback Thursdays. Throwback Thursday this year, this week, maybe we'll play um, Mr. Civitano's wonderful uh, time spent with me over here. I'm so happy that he was with, he's since passed away. And um, any opportunity I can, I wish, I wish I had more opportunities. Just want to download people's stories. I think they're very, very important. Those are some of the best. That's why there's some of the, the best watched stuff for me on YouTube. I love all of those videos of where you have these people who are 110 years old in, you know, in the year 20, 1925, 1923, they're 100 years old, 105 years old, and they're, they're speaking on the camera talking about what they, they remember from you know the the eighteen thirties and forties and stuff like that in their lives and and westward expansion and all that and I'm looking at some of these people talking and they're so real and they're so alive and their their mindset is so stable so calm 
it's it's wonderful to observe. It's really incredible. I put those into the Sunday night the Sunday night programming all the time. I have watched so many hours of those the, those those films. The interviewing with the Civil War, um, uh, the the veterans and anything it doesn't matter as long as they're old. I just want to know. I mean, you think about that. Someone that was 105 years old getting interviewed in the in the year 1923, and there are interviews out there. They were born before Thomas Jefferson took his last breath. All right. I mean, they were they were in diapers, swaddling clothes, clothes. But I mean, think about that. I mean, it's it's that it's still. I know it's a long ways away, but it's that in reach. And then um, yeah, we are we are completely different now. Completely different. All right, let me go on over to see everybody hanging out on Rumble. Everybody's having a good time there. I hope I see you all. And now over on to Foxhole. Then we're going to take your calls. 914-595-6953. Real quick, let's roll on through. Paulie 9363. God bless the snow angel. Yes. Tempo 420 says, received my copy of Brave New World. Parts off, uh, uh, pants off, ready to rock. Yes. Mine came today. As I was leaving, I saw it, showed up. I got myself a new, a new copy of it. Uh, because my original copy is down, packed away with all my other books, but doesn't matter. I would need a second copy so I can write in this one and then give it away. So I'm ready. I'm ready. River Pike, thank you. Curious Patriot says, if you read what I write, I'd feel weird. <laughs> Just shush and take the damn cookies. Okay. Well, I'm I'm sorry. Um <laughs> Manamanon says, been sharing your show for years. Sure helps sharing since you're still, you still have a YouTube. Yes. Yes. Knock on wood. Hopefully we'll be there for a while. All right. Let's take, let's take a call. 720, you're on the air. Hello? Hey, who am I speaking with? Hi, you're speaking with Mike. Uh, I'm calling in for the second time. Hello, Mike. It's great to have you on. So. We did a lot tonight, but we have a couple of main themes. Uh, are you calling in about relationships you've had with neighbors, uh, how they've changed over the years, great storytellers of your life, or anything else that struck you? Well, when I was young, uh, I was born in 64, um, and uh, by the time I was about four, there was this neighbor a couple of doors down, and she was a little old lady. She had to be 90. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of weird, but I, I wanted to talk to her and just find out what was things like in in 1890s, yeah. you know, or or something, something like that. So, so yeah. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd mention that. Oh, um, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait, whoa, 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 don't, don't glaze over that. What, what, what do you remember from those talks with her? Well, I, I, it was, it was. We were isolated. I, I I only got to talk to her once, and I I kind of told her uh, sort of like you know I'd I'd like to do favors for you, do chores for yourself, and and talk to you. And she's just like no no we we don't do that. It's like we we live in our little silos in in this little little bungalow houses. Yeah, you know, so I, I was kind of disappointed about that. Well, that's all right. Well, at least at least but, you try, yeah. at least you had the foresight of knowing that that would have been a, uh, a, a a a really enriching experience. But so, what's your next thought? Um. Well, well, you you were talking about stories. I have a, a 
storyteller, my father. <laughs> he he, uh, my dad was uh, he was like uh, six foot four, you know, big guy. And when we when we were real little kids, like you know, five, six, seven, or whatever, he used to tell us uh, Murdoch the monster stories. It was a it was a genre. And basically, the overall uh, story arch was Murdoch the monster scared everyone, but he wasn't trying to be scary. He was just big. And ultimately, we kind of started to realize he's talking talking about himself or whatever. And like you know, so it was just this uh, you know cute little genre. And and when he would tell these stories, he would like make up stuff on his on on his own. While he, we knew he was like making up the story, or whatever. That's so, the best. I mean, it was just just a really really cool family. When when we were like that that certain age, you know, and I was thinking that'd be something maybe you could bring up with Aurora someday. Oh, it's definitely. I mean that that's where it all it's all at. And I think and thank you so much for the call, Mike. It's great to hear from you. For you to be the first caller tonight, um, that is where you know we cannot discount that about our history. The oral tradition was the first way of keeping our histories preserved, whether it be histories of our of our tribes of our budding nations, legends and lore, of passing down really easy to understand morals to children, of listening to your elders, listening to your parents, not wandering into the woods at night, you know, uh, keeping close those you love. And and not only that, but the ability, the uh, as G.K. Chesterton said so eloquently about the, uh, about, fairy tales and, and what's going on is said for, for children, children don't need to be told that that evil exists. I mean, that's something that we, we feel in our gut. The reason for the storytellers, the story uh, and the fairy tale is not to tell children that the dragon exists. It's about the ability for the noble of us to slay the dragon, that the dragon can be slayed. That's that's the uh, that's what we had at one point. That's all we had at one point, and and that that and that had to be enough. And just because we have Twitter now doesn't mean that we should abandon that, because then we become more cybernetic than human. There you go. Let's take another call. Uh, call. Matt, Matt the Marine. What's going on, Matt? Mike, what's going on, buddy? It's great to have you on. So, what's on your mind tonight? So uh, I uh, I'm literally just catching the show, but I heard something about. Um, older people in their stories and I figured I'd chime in my uh, grandfather he was a uh, tail gunner on the B-17 in World War II and I figured that might go along with your storyline tonight well I mean it's really just about how how we we're losing we've lost that uh, that touch of the oral tradition and that most of our storytelling has been uh, has been pretty much uh, 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 usurped by corporate media and and how how people like your your grandfather who who spoke about these these things in their lives and, and things that they did that used to be the greatest some of the greatest things that would keep our traditions and our local legends and and the the big the big titans of our past alive in our hearts so uh as far as the 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 story uh, itself about the B-17, if you want to tell it, you go right ahead. But it's more so just about being around people who were, uh, who were good at, 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 at preserving, preserving those tales that, that, really, that really enrich in our, enrich our culture. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
long story short, my grandfather was the first one to give me a beer. We had a cottage out in Canada, and uh, I was the only grandchild that would go out there with him and go fishing and do all that fun stuff. And at the end of the day, one day, he just gave me a beer. So, side story. But anyways, when we were out on the boat fishing all day, he would... I think I'm the only one except for my grandmother that he told some of the stories to. And when I got older, he would tell them to me. And one of the stories, I actually proved it um, through one of my bosses. Um, But uh, what happened was, was when he was stationed, I believe it was uh, obviously somewhere overseas. Um, I don't know the exact location, but anyways, he used to go up and when they got the cruising altitude, one of the guys that operated the bomb, the, the bombardier door, mm. I believe it's called. Um, well, what happened was he would take a brick from the woodworking shop and drop it from 32,000 feet. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> so long story short, um, my boss took me to the 8th Air Force Museum, and my grandfather was part of the 8th Air Force 34 7 Squadron. And they have little, like, glass boxes where they, you know, have mementos from every squadron or bomber group. Well, by God, there was one of those bricks from the woodworking shop from there that I actually saw. Wow. From his... Uh, the seventh squadron i just figured that'd be a cool story it really is i'll leave it at that no it really is go ahead no no it it is man and you know why because it's one thing to be told to be told something and to to maybe assume that the uh you know our grandparents or our uncles and our aunts or whoever's telling the story are they may be ingratiating a little bit and really dolling it up and having a good time it doesn't make the the story any less enjoyable but when you go throughout life and you find those little nuggets that actually validate the most uh the, the most incredible details of a story it just makes it that much more special that it that this that this was real and you had you had that direct connection with a guy who was there so thank you for this uh this call matt i hope you have a great night absolutely have a blessed night Frank. take care that's wonderful you know i i have a story that i saved off of uh i think it was a uh, eight chan it was from 2022 it's from last year last last september i have a story that i uh a a green a green text I saved a little green text from last year, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read that in a little bit because it just it reminds me of that to a degree. It really does. Let's take a call. Um, Melanie from Texas. What what are you commenting on? Hey, uh, well, I, last time I checked, but I, I was driving home. It was about either neighbors and how neighbors have changed over the years. What it, does that the mean? Question, yeah, the question was, how important are the relationships that you have with your neighbors over the years, and, and how have they how have those relationships changed, if, if at all? Right, yeah. You know, that's a, something I think about quite a bit. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I was born in 78, so when I was a kid in Texas, in rural Texas, and when I'd go up to Dallas and visit my grandmother, even both places, the neighbors were like extended family members, you know? So, I mean, they were over at Thanksgiving, Christmas, the whole deal. Mm. And, um, you know, and it's really funny because I can almost pinpoint the year that it seemed like that kind of changed. I mean, that generation obviously started, my grandparents especially started dying out, but I'm in rural Texas now, okay? 
And um, and uh, I had I've lived all over the world, but when I moved back to Texas, and I'm in Eastern Texas now, um, there's a lot of I mean these people you know they're they're salt of the earth, but but there's a lot of suspicion and um, a lot of uh, you know you don't call the cops, you don't do this, you don't you know that sort of thing. So. And I realized after I got to know my neighbors where I live now, and I say neighbors loosely because it's very rural, but um, there, there's been so many people from the cities, and I'm talking, you know, everywhere from the local cities, which, you know, I say local, but like Houston, Dallas, whatever, that have moved further out because they, they can afford it and they're trying to, you know, do the whole homesteading thing, or... Texas, I mean, we've had the influx of Californians to the point where it's like laws in rural areas have changed, not for the better, mm. but for the worse, <laughs> especially where I live. I mean, the kind of zoning, you know, restrictions that have been placed on, um, you know, your barn dimensions. I mean, there's certain things with farm exemptions that you don't get anymore, like a barn tin and and you know stuff like that They're, they don't take even if you have an ag exemption card they it, you're still taxed for it mm -hmm. because so many of these people are from california doing this so there's a lot of suspicion there with with new people uh perceived new people even though i'm a native texan but uh moving to these areas and so it took about two years before um my neighbors were even willing to have a conversation with me out here and and, and you and, and you're somebody like, and you're somebody who moved back to texas who's an original texan so it, it absolutely so it's, that, it's just the yeah, fact it's yeah. just the fact that you came in and they didn't know who you were uh the the, the everybody's right. just so jaded at this point that even though they probably learned about you as time went on they didn't know that at first and, and it was a little bit hands-off Oh, it was it was very hands off. Mm. Um, I mean, they they I had a, a a nicer you know I'd say a fancy city car because I was working at a broadcast studio uh, before in Fort Worth, so I was commuting into Fort Worth and then coming home to like the big farm, right? And uh, but I'm telling you, they sized me up for two years, and I mean, I couldn't even throw their dogs a dog treat without getting cussed out. Oh, so so you so if yeah. you if you were to show up if you were to show up to their front their their front door, uh, like a week uh -huh. into in, a week into your settling in with a bunt cake or something like that to say hello, I'm your new neighbor. Um, you think that would have gone a long way, or you think it, it still would no, not? You would. I would have had a shotgun in my face. The shot. It was like that. Like a shotgun. Yeah, a shotgun. A shotgun. I'm not even joking. And and it's uh, that's the way it was, and that was about. See, I built I built out here in um, the late 2019, and uh, and it was a deal. And now now I have a great relationship with them. I mean, to the point where, you know, my neighbor's potbelly pig uh, got attacked by dogs, and I mean, she called up and you know called me up crying, and I went over there and sutured the wounds and did the whole thing and brought it medicine and and that was in the middle of the night but that would have never happened and uh, you know even two years ago and mm. it was just it was like they had to you know 
check me out and they were checking me out believe believe it well, and I, and they they will they have a, a networking system i mean some of these people have been out here for 40 years 50 years and if and they they were used to the land being the way it was well you know you know and, melanie you know, melanie i i can see what you're saying there and and i and i and it's funny because as you're saying and, and thank you for the call i have to get a couple more in before yeah, this, this 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 break but such a wonderful call thank you let me let me let me put something out there as melanie's talking about um as she's talking about how this is going on in rural texas uh i'm thinking about how it is over here in new york uh I mean, sometimes you get you get the person coming up and saying, "Hey, I'm your new neighbor," but we're so close to we're already in, in like suburban areas. We're already so jam packed next to each other with very little property that it's uh, I don't know. I think everybody's always very wary about who's coming in when somebody moves out, especially if it's in a neighborhood that's been settled for a long time, because you know, I mean. Are they the type that are going to have the backyard parties until 11 o'clock at night with the screaming kids and have no... Because there's a lot... Nobody has any... There's very few people who have consideration like that anymore. Um, very few people who have consideration. It, so there's a lot of things that happen. In a place like where we are, we're not going to get the shotgun, no doubt. But we're a little bit more like mole people. You know, uh, I, I, it's just funny how Jennifer, uh, uh, Melanie is uh, is describing it because how it would be by me if people are wary and trying to figure out what's going on is they're a little bit more like mole people. We we exist behind our blinds. What's going on? What are they doing now? What's this? Okay, they got a dog. They got any kids? One kid. All right. They're young. They're young. They're young. No, they're young. You know, it's just, we're just looking through those. That's what it is. We're like mole people in the Northeast. We stay inside of our houses. We peek through the blinds, you know? And then, uh, and then eventually it's like two, it's like two kids who want to dance with each other at the, at the, at the school dance in, in elementary school, but the boys are on one side of the, uh, of, and, the boy, and the girls are on the other side. And it's just something, something, everybody wants to dance. But for the time being, nobody wants to walk over. That happens a lot. So I'm the type that's a little bit, as you might imagine, I'm the type to just walk over and, and uh, say, hey, uh, welcome and what's good and all that stuff. And, and, I, and I, I enjoy, I'm a pretty good neighbor. I think I'm a pretty good neighbor. Um, and I have to imagine that many of you out there would be pretty good neighbors as well. And sometimes I wish I can snap my fingers and, and have us all like, uh, you know, the, the, the best neighbors in the audience all be living within the same five or 10 mile radius uh, just so that we know that if shit ever does hit the fan, oh, okay, the, the plan is to stay, stay, stay here, everybody flip to uh, CB channel 13, and we're all going to coordinate and talk about whose duties are what while the lights are out. I think about that stuff all the time. I really do. We're also spread out, but the audience is growing. We're going to take more of your calls when we come back from this brief break and breather. It's 8.30. Got a few minutes left. Please, ladies and gentlemen, help me grow the show in the second half of this uh, of this episode and uh, retweet all of the live all the live links because there's still a chance for people to come in, hang out, crack a few jokes, 
crack a few beers, and uh, and relax. Don't go anywhere. And I didn't know that in the last two weeks we've had most of the top memes. I certainly enjoy it. Please make more goofy memes. Please make more goofy memes. Israel, Lebanon, Syria. What is Venezuela? No. Switzerland, Sweden, Swaziland. What is all this stuff? No. In an 1868 song, he'd fly through the air with the greatest of ease. What is Hitler? No. What is Stalin? No. What is Mao? No. <laughs> God Almighty. Bianca. Who is the man on the flying trapeze? Yes. I think that, I mean, if God had meant us to be together, he'd have put us together. Well, look what he'd done. He put you over in Africa, he put the rest of us in all the white countries. Well, you must have told him where we were, because somebody came and got us. I mean, uh, there was work for us. <laughs> I mean, and uh, how could you resist? Free transportation, room, board, chains. <laughs> I think you're talking about slavery there, Sam. I want to tell you that I was always dead set against slavery. What's QFTV? Missy gonna need to go over there and watch QFTV Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, right after Quite Frankly. Yeah. Oh, you're definitely cool. Only on QuiteFrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole. is 8.34, and in 25 minutes, we have Rabbit Hole Wednesday. That's right. It's already the middle of the week. Rabbit Hole Wednesday kicks off on QuiteFrankly.tv, and, um, you know, there is a nice, really nice group of people that hang out there, and uh, the viewership always grows, slowly but steadily, because, of course, it really just depends on how, how large this show gets. And then people just go there for the after. And, and the, there's a lot more coming, as I can say. 
live interactive programming coming afterwards that we can take more of your calls and continue these in-show themes and conversations after. That's going to be a wonderful feature that is that is built on in 2023. So, enjoy yourself there. 914-595-6953. How important are the relationships you have had with your neighbors over the years and how have they changed? How have you seen people change, neighborhoods change? Uh, who was the greatest storyteller in your life? And general comments on on whatever the hell else we're talking about. I also have a cool story here that I'll save until the end. Save until the end. Let's see, a massive gun heist in Texas. You hear about this? There is a massive gun heist in Texas. Just truck pulling open the front door and a bunch of youths running in and taking everything they can. Guns. So new militias in town out there in Texas. Let's see. Woody Harrelson doubles down, slams COVID mandates. The U.S. is not a free country. Good for you, Woody. South Africa collapsed. People are advised to have 72 hours of food and water. Uh, hey, I already... Th- How many times over the years? Many years. For those of you who have been with me, have I said we are on a... They, they, everybody talks about civil war. Uh, are we Are we heading toward a civil war? So, uh, I don't know, uh, civil unrest, it's going to be pockets, you know, if we're talking about, if the United States was the, was the size, if America was the size of New York, or let's say Georgia, or whatever like that, if we're looking at something like Europe, we're a union, there's so many places to be where you're going to be shielded from a lot of the fallout of what's coming. So many places to be at that are going to make it a little bit easier for you to not feel what we ha- what path we've been set on. We have been set on a South African trajectory. That's so we, we got to cover what's going on out there in South Africa again at some point because I know it's getting bad. And um, and uh, it, it, sneak preview of what they're hoping that they can bring here, what they can import. So, um, what is this? New York City to dole out $21,500 to each Black Lives Matter protester. What is this? Each Black Lives Matter protester planning to compensate protesters from a 2020 demonstration following George Floyd's death in a new settlement. The proposed settlement, the city has agreed to pay $21,500 to each member of the class action suit, plus an additional $2,500 to those who were issued desk appearance tickets. If it's approved by a judge, the settlement would amount to an estimated $4 million to $6 million. Violations of their rights under the 1st, 4th, and 14th Amendments stemming from a June 4th, 2020 protest when police allegedly boxed demonstrators in. So they get paid. They get paid to uh, to terrorize cities, as you can see. Boy, boy, oh boy. How's, how's, that, how's that for white supremacy? My gosh. All right, let's get back to the, the issue at hand here. Storytelling and your neighbors. I want to learn about that. 251, you're on the air. Who is this? Oh, you got to turn that off. Hey, yeah, cut, cut that off in the back, my friend. I did. There you go. And take me off, a super, uh, off of a uh, uh, speakerphone if you can. It's off. 
Are you sure? Yeah, I got my I got my hearing aids on and it's connected to my hearing aids. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, all right. It, it's just a little bit too echoey, so I, I we can definitely do with this, no doubt about it. Anyway, how are you? And what's your name? My name is William Ford, um, and I live in North Alabama. And I'm doing great. My wife and I are doing great. It's wonderful. All, Retired. All, all the best here. You know who I was just talking to recently who tried to get me to, to move down to Alabama with my, with my family is Kathy O'Brien. Kathy O'Brien's out in, is in Alabama, and uh, she's like, "You got to, you got to come here. The air is free. You're gonna love it. It's beautiful." And I, I'll tell you, uh, over the weekend, uh, I was like, "Oh, Lauren." Somebody mentioned Alabama again. Then, of course, we have our friends, uh, the Gordons, that are next door in Mississippi. And, jeez, uh, I'm, I'm tempted. I wish I could be in eight states at once, I'll tell you. Well, I live, I live just around the corner from uh, Fort Payne, which is where Alabama, the group Alabama is from. Hmm. So it's, it's pretty nice up here. Well, I'm glad that you're calling in tonight, my friend. What, so what, what did you want to comment on? Is it the storytellers in your life? It is, is it how your relationships with your neighbors have changed over the years? Uh, what's on your mind? Relationships with neighbors, when I heard, heard you talking about this, it reminded me, I, I'm a retired law enforcement officer uh, for a lot of years. But this story came to my mind one Christmas uh, when I was five years old lived in mobile alabama and we um my aunt and uncle came over with two of my cousins bob was five six years old and sharon was five the same age as me and we ended up going across the street to uh, a neighbor's house and we were looking in the window and they had a nice christmas tree and we were trying to get in the house because there was nobody home for some reason. So I, we, we tried the door, the door was locked. And so I told Bob, the older one, he was a year older than me, I said, let's try the window. So we pushed the window up and me and Sharon helped Bob get into the house. He comes around and unlocks the door. We go in there and look at all the presents under the tree, and we opened up every present under the tree. What the What? We opened up. They were all wrapped in white packages, and we opened up every present there, and we didn't find one toy. I was so disappointed. Oh, you're so disappointed. I was was disappointed because there there was no toys. But if you had found one. we took all of Huh? If you had found one, what would you have done? They weren't yours anyway. Well, you... I have no, I have no idea. I really have no idea. So we found no toys. So we pushed all of the toys up under the couch. <laughs> then I, all I can remember is uh, we left. I remember us leaving. We shut the door, and Bob and Sharon and my aunt and uncle went home. They left. Well. A few, uh, an hour or two later, my mom saw me standing at the window, looking out at the front, at, at, you know, across the street. There was there was police cars out there with the lights going. Oh. And she was wondering what in the heck was going on. So <laughs> she grabs me by the arm and she takes me across the street, and 
And my mom doesn't know what's going on. She just knows that I'm concerned. I'm a five-year-old kid, and she takes me across the street. And we go, we knock on the, she knocks on the door, I'm sure, and then we go in there. And I remember these police officers and all these people sitting around, and they're wondering what's going on. I mean, they're asking me. They start at, I'm so embarrassed. I'm a five-year-old kid, and I'm so embarrassed. And I remember the detectives being there, and there's this one guy sitting over in the corner, and he's the boyfriend of the young lady that lives there, I'm sure the daughter of probably the parents that live there. And he looked at me, and he said, did you open these presents? And I told him, yes, sir, I did. And he said, well, where's the presents at? And I walk over to the couch where the detectives are sitting, and I pull all the stuff out from under the couch. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to put. I pulled it, I pulled it out, and 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 my two accomplices, accomplices are gone. And I'll have to tell you about that in just a second. But anyway, what I was going to tell you about the neighbors is that young man was sitting in a, with a suit on, and looks at me and tells me, he says, William. If you come and apologize, I will give you a silver dollar. And I walked over to him and I apologized and he gave me a silver dollar. And, and of course, that's all I remember. I mean, the, the, the memories are sketchy, but that, I do remember that. So anyway, a few weeks ago, a month ago, I, uh, uh, no, it was it was back during Christmas. I called my cousin Bob up, and I hadn't talked to him in years. And I said, do you remember when? He said, William, I think about that every Christmas that you and I did that. And I said, well, let me tell you the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey would say. I said, my mom took me across the street, and I had to face all them people by myself, and where were we all? He died laughing. He thought that was so funny. He said, I never knew that part of the story. And I grew up to be a law enforcement <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I love anyway, this. I love this. So, so my, my, neighbors, my neighbors were great. I mean, as a, as a five-year-old kid, and I've got neighbors down the road in North Alabama right now that are, that are absolutely great. And there, there is hope for America because there's still love here and there's still kindness and I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, and I, by the way, my my wife has been listening to you for quite a while, and she absolutely loves you. What's her name? William. No, no. What's what's your wife's William name? William Ford. Your wife's name? Oh, her name is Rebecca. Rebecca. Rebecca I call her Becky. Be well, well, uh, well, Rebecca. Thank you so much for for. Did she did she turn you on she to the says, show? Thank you. Yes, she did. Okay. We're watching you. We, we got you on the big screen right now. Good. I'm so happy that she turns you on to the show. And so Rebecca's the real star here, and and thank you both so much. I hope I hope that you call in more often. Thank you for 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 dry. this is such a great story. I, I I'm gonna love this one forever. <laughs> thank you. Well, I appreciate you. You take care. You do a great job. All right, take care. There you go, William and Rebecca from Alabama. That is just just to think of it. You're five. You're six years old. You have two accomplices, and it's just we got to get in. Well, why do you have to get into the house? I don't know. You had just had to do it. Then you're inside. Okay. Well, here's the presents that aren't ours. But oh man, isn't it awesome to rip paper off of packages? And then when you don't find any toys that you can't even—they're not yours anyway. 
you you stuff them all under the just the disposal of the evidence everything that is just such an amazing story then of course there is that whole how was it dealt with how was it dealt with and just understanding children and understanding how to build up good moral character and to get an apology and to to be on good terms with each other that's that's a wonderful story that's a wonderful story i love that story my oh my um william and rebecca there you go and and that's there you go that that's some good good hope there too that our hope is not lost because I know that there's one. I know that there those there's those of you out there who are vacationing with your neighbors, and I know that those neighborhoods and those counties and those places still exist. I know that you have wonderful county fairs and carnivals and 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 lively church services on Sundays. I I know that you all you all are out there. I know that you're playing gin rummy for quarters on a Saturday night somewhere in some smoky uh, kitchen. I I know it's happening with the bug zapper outside the window. Oh man, sounds fantastic, really does. Lauren just texted me, she said, here's a book idea for you, you gotta collect stories from the audience members. Yeah, I know, I know. And you know, I had been doing that for a while because there's always stories that come in an email, but um, I got, maybe I gotta make a concerted effort here. And I have to go back into the old threads Obviously, we lost so much when we got destroyed on Reddit. You remember, we got we got deplatformed on Reddit. We had 17,000 people there. We had all of our show threads. Thankfully, even though the links are dead, I still have the, sh- the thread titles. So we can go back and we can do things that we, we normally do, like, you know, six degrees of separation every year. Uh, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, diamonds in the rough. All those threads we got to bring back. This is where this is where the the value of the show really really explodes. Um, here's a couple of more super chats, and then I want to read this one story to you, and and then we'll be on our way. Hold on a second. Uh, let's see here. Dad named Dan says my wife's grandmother was such a good storyteller. She had them convinced they were all Native American. Modern DNA testing ruined that story. Thankfully. It was after she left this world. Oh, so so she didn't know. They, she never knew. Well, now she does. They were all Elizabeth Warren by their grandmother. <laughs> you know, I've got great storytellers on tape. One night, I'm going to play it for you. One night, I'm going to play it for you. Uh, it'll be after the nine, the, the seven o'clock show uh, ends, or something like that, because it. I don't know how it would read for podcast audiences, but uh, I have so many, so many tapes. Let me see if I have it in uh, in my Dropbox, just to see if it's already here on the computer. Let's see, home videos, nineteen. Yeah, I have it over here. 1993 part two i labeled it old lady stories um this is my my great aunt mary from california uh my aunt well we called her aunt clara and uh and a few others that were all my grandfather my father's father his sisters and it it, it was incredible incredible footage here from 1993 i'm trying to see where the hell where the hell it could be 
Wait. Wait. Oh, there's a protest outside of the Diamond Club. That was a, a topless bar over here in our neck of the woods that um, everybody was protesting in the 90s. That was really nice. Everybody got together and did something did something worthwhile. I never got to go into the, the Diamond Club. Then again, I've only been in one strip club my entire life. It just wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. When I, oh, here we go. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can get a little bit. With the moon and everything. Hold on. Anthony, could that each one had to have their own horse. Uh -huh. That hag with the, with the, with the no, uh, feathers, I got, I got you know. Oh. He was, oh, I'm telling you, good looking no, guy. That was well, look at that. They're telling stories of my family, how they all, how, how they came over and, you know, who was who and who fell in love with who. That all the dressing talk. At night, they were supposed to clean the horse, put a blank on top. Yeah. The tail of the horse, you know, move. It went to the eye. So what she's saying, I, I think this was a great-grandfather of ours. Back in Italy, he was a stable boy, and he, uh, and, and he was supposed to be putting this horse to, to bed, putting the, the blanket on the horse and all that stuff, and he got whipped in the eye with the tail of, of the horse, and it blinded him. And, um, and I, I think there was like an arranged marriage and because he was blinded, his stock with the other, the other family had gone down. They didn't want their daughter to marry my great somebody. I forgot. I have to, I have to listen to this again. My father would, would know exactly what we're talking about, but she's about to say uh, again, uh, that true love won out. In those days, I know I had no medicine, nothing. Yeah. We lost the first one eye and after the other. So he lost both eyes from the infection. Blind. He was such a good looking man. The grandma, the uh, grandma's family, yeah. no, they, they don't want him to marry him because he had no eyes. Yeah. She loved him so much that she married just the same. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And when your uncle uh, Rocky came, mm. look how a grandpa was doing to uh, Uncle Rocky yeah. to see how tall. And he took him, then he take him on the vineyard. And then if he took him you know, in the vineyard to see all of the grandpa property, he had a lot of property. Yeah, I, I can, I, and, and listen, I, I put these videos on sometimes, and I'll just sit and I'll, I'll listen. I love these videos. There's so much in this one in particular. That night, 93. So I was eight, eight years old. And I remember that night. Okay, all right, so I have a story here that I think that you'd really like. It, it, came, from the, it came from the boards on September 21st, 2022. That was actually a night that we were talking to G. Edward Griffin over here on, quite frankly, my brother's birthday. Listen to this one. Like I said, it's green text. Guy telling his story about visiting his grandfather. I visit my grandfather at a family farm in rural Kentucky a few, a few times every year. There's a locked door on the back of the house that we are never allowed to open. Nobody ever opens it or says what it is. Years go by with this curiosity of the unknown. I go off to college. I come back to grandfather's farm for the first time in three years, one winter break. Grandfather and I stay up all night drinking together for the first time ever. He leans over from his chair and while smiling in a way that I've never seen him before, he whispers, you want to see what that door leads to? Instant excitement. 
Uh, he goes and takes a key from under the lamp that hasn't moved in 20 years that I know of and unlocks a door. Excitement immediately changes to fear. It's a closet that's empty with a hole dug through the floor and a wooden ladder that leads down. He sees that I'm freaking out and says I have to go down and pull the chain light to see what's down there. It's pitch black, but I say fuck it and I climb down. It's at least 15 feet down until I hit the floor. I pull the chain, the light comes on. It's a fucking concrete bunker. Gun walls, food storage, well water pipe, dampered air vents, bunk beds, propane generator, first aid rack, you name it, he's got it. He hobbles down and tells me one day he was watching the news during the Cold War and just went to the closet and started digging. He dug for three years while pouring concrete himself. Found out later that grandma nearly divorced him during the three years because he would come home every night and just dig in silence. I just imagine, I just imagine my grandfather telling his wife to shut the hell up while tun tunneling under their house for three straight years. You see, I'm sure the grandfather was a bard in his own way, but places like 4chan, places the, the internet has given us an opportunity for the new bards to come forward and talk about the menches of the past. The grandfathers, the brawlers who go out to try to find a crack dealer to beat up. I mean, that's just, um, <laughs> it's just a wonderful world. I know we're dancing on the, pin, on the head of a pin right now and it's all chaotic. But if we get through, we're going to have so many awesome stories to tell. We really are. I, uh, I appreciate you all for being here with me tonight. Thank you, C to Shining C, for sending a rumble rant right now and uh, right here at the tail end. Thank you to Sean, Joe, and everybody uh, who's on QuiteFrankly.tv ready for that evening to kick off as soon as this one concludes. So get on over there. It's Rabbit Hole Wednesdays. I'll be joining you before you know it. And, um, and yeah. Thank you to all of our callers. You've been a wonderful company. And tomorrow is Thursday. We've got Steve and Jonathan on. We'll be talking about theology and education and science versus scientism. It'll be a good one. And then it's Friday and the weekend is upon us. So with that, I bid you a farewell and a good night. And I'll see you on QuiteFrankly.tv. Become a sponsor of the show on QuiteFrankly.tv on the sponsor us page or through any of the links that I provide in the description of this episode. Ciao, ciao. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatter, starting with Dad Named Dan. Dooku Dan. Oh, man, I didn't see this. I saw several uh, several nightly news shows tonight because of guests. I don't watch legacy news. And there was, I'll have to get to this tomorrow, Dan. I'm so sorry I didn't see it. It's the only one I missed. Ken McNeil, Stostube, Cody, KT Sky D, and all of our friends from across the internet. We will see you tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Don't be late. <laughs>